0: Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 240 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. Firstly, as ever, thank you very much to our Patreon supporters and those of you that have bought the merch from our merch shop. If you'd like to support the podcast, go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile, you'll see a drop down link tree box, and you can do so from there. Well, in today's episode, I'm taking you to meet performance artist Martin O'Brien. Maiten has had a trilogy of performances at the Whitechapel Gallery this year. I attended the second, which was, I think it was in July, and it was quite an intense and mesmerising experience. The final part of this trilogy is going to be on the 14th of December at the Whitechapel Gallery, from 11am till 9pm, and the Whitechapel Gallery says, Drawing inspiration from hospital radio and stories of ghosts heard through analogue technologies, the final installation of Martin O'Brien's trilogy explores the human desire to communicate and record. In a strange and eerie landscape, O'Brien shuffles around, recording and playing half-heard voices and unholy sound. The durational performance installation is open throughout the day from 11am till 9pm. I loved recording this episode. I've not met Martin before. And going by the performance I saw in July, I thought he'd be quite a serious person, but it was quite the opposite. And at one point, we was laughing like drunkards. And on the flip side to that, there was some quite serious chat about Martin's life-limiting illness, which he refers to living in the present as being in a zombie state. But this is definitely a conversation that touches all the emotions, and, and I'm sure you'll love it. So please come with me as I spoke to performance artist and bona fide zombie, Martin O'Brien.
1: How are you, mate? Are you good? Yeah, I am. How are you? Oh, splendid. Thank you for your time. Oh, thanks so much for doing it. I can't wait. You're more than welcome.
0: Can I ask what those two bits are behind you?
1: The Statue of Jesus.
0: I figured it was. I saw just a yeah. little back of the cross there.
1: Yeah, well, I I was a Catholic boy, but I, I still love all of those. So, not now, but I play an arrow. It lights up. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Brilliant. I thought it'd be pointing down at the
1: that Jesus with yeah, yeah, his burden.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: the other day, my friend gave it to me after a performance. And I brought it home, and my boyfriend went, That is not staying in the <laughs> house. <laughs> is he just not religious or anti religious? He just um doesn't like. Hacky things, basically.
0: Brilliant. Well, I do have seven questions that I ask each guest. And the first being, how would you explain what you do to someone that may not know your
1: work? Well, I would say, you know, because I do get asked a lot by people, what do you do? And, you know, I'm in different sorts of worlds, not always in art, so, you know, I have to tell them. So I usually start by saying, the work that I make is performances that deals with uh, death, dying, mortality. Um, and so it takes as its starting point, um, me as someone with cystic fibrosis, the last in disease I was born with, but the work, I said the work isn't really about having cystic fibrosis. Yeah, You don't find anything out about my life from coming to the performances. It's not really autobiographical, but it just explores the, the themes, the ideas, um, the kind of images that are conjured up by disease and death and mortality. It tries to think more widely about sort of political or philosophical implications of, of being born with a lash on in disease and living longer than you expected to. Yeah, um, And it does use the stuff of cystic fibrosis as the materials, breathing and breath restriction, mucus as a material, um, the things that the disease does to the body are sort of revealed in the performances.
0: Does it affect you on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. I take a lot of medication to try to keep everything a bay, but I have, you know, bad lungs, very bad digestive system. Yeah. CF um, yeah, sort of blocks a lot of your vital organs with mucus. That's what the disease is. And um, mucus gets extra kind of thick and sticky. Yeah. Whereas in your body, for example, mucus would act as a lubrication inside your body for things to move through in mind. It's too sticky, so it acts as a blockage instead of a lubrication. Yeah. And
0: and has it affected you? I know you've had it all your life, obviously, but has it affected you all of your life to that extent, or has it gradually got worse as you've got older?
1: No, it has. When I was a kid, it was pretty bad. I was in and out of hospital. All the time really as a child a couple of weeks in a few months out a couple of weeks in a few months out because you pick up infections chest infections yeah like wipes you out but my parents discovered it because i was six weeks old when i was diagnosed i was a baby and i was eating 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 so much but just losing weight losing weight losing weight and crying constantly hungry and they were just feeding me and i was losing weight and i was the first kid so they just thought that's what it's like having a baby Eventually they took you know after a few weeks of this they took me to the doctor and the doctor said what are you feeding him he's so skinny and you know they said everything and they were like, what yeah babies oh, yeah. don't eat that much either so then all right something's wrong they do all the tests um, but because it's genetic they, um, there was a cousin of mine over in Ireland and he he had cystic fibrosis and so they went uh-huh. okay yeah. It's possible, that. It could be I, I don't
0: mean to, you know, for this to be a conversation about that illness. That's but okay. I, I need to ask you a question because I don't know the answer. You know, you was eating a lot yeah. as a child, but nothing was happening. What is it that that disease does internally with the food?
1: Yeah. So the um the way it affects the pancre- pancreas uh, pancreas is that it blocks the sort of tubes in it, so you the pancreas can't produce the enzymes, or the okay. enzymes don't get through. Yeah. So You can eat as much as you want, but you don't get anything from it. it. No, No, you've just got to the toilet. So I take these tablets when I eat now, which digest. they've got enzymes in them, basically, that digest the food. If I don't take these, if I forget to take them out with me and eat something, the next day is gonna be hell. Yeah, yeah, and as
0: you can see, I, I don't have that problem. <laughs> everything I eat just triples the calorie count. I think. Well, I joke with people. You know, the good
1: thing about having cystic fibrosis is that I never got, I could never put any weight on. You know, people a lot of my mates are jealous of me because
0: <laughs> I, I nearly said brilliant, then, but it's,
1: it's so it's there's so. Outside me. to everything, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: If there's a positive to come out of it, let's yeah. let's grab hold of it with both hands. I can eat right? as many any
1: crisps as I want <laughs> you know fatty food as I want <laughs> uh, yeah
0: there's people scratching at their headphones exactly
1: everybody they... wants it
0: <laughs> um was there creativity in the home growing up Martin
1: no it wasn't no not at all um we just uh you know like a working class family from Burnley um my mum worked and she had a few different jobs but in an office and then um Marks and Spencer's cafe later. My dad's always worked in a factory for the same company. It was just you know, we never we were never into art. We we're into sport and we're big Burn Football Club fans, which I still am. But you know, so we had that, but never any art or creativity or theatre or performance or anything. But when I was a kid, I was you know a kind of exhibitionist, and um, somebody two doors down from my grandma worked at the local youth theatre. And my mum and dad went, Oh, let's talk to him because Martin is kind of a little <laughs> yeah, bit out there. <laughs> full on, yeah. So he said, you oh, have a yeah, Skinny but... kid
0: at number thirty-eight. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. He's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> always like <laughs> singing into the, to everyone, yeah. <laughs> so that's how it started. And so they were, they took me when I was seven, you know, they chatted with them and I went to the local youth theatre, you know, and we just hooked him on, on performing. And
0: where do you think that came from if it wasn't in if it wasn't genetic, if you like? Do you yeah, think it was just trying
1: to get noticed. Maybe, yeah. And I've always loved the um, people watching me and, yeah. you know, joking with people and being the center of attention. It's something I always really enjoyed. So I used to put on little shows in my grandma's spare room, you know, for the yeah, family. Brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. And all that kind of thing. And force the local kids to be in at these plays I would write, which would, you know, uh, just, I've still got. That my grandma sells all the scripts that I wrote, you know, handwritten. <laughs> <laughs> feel like I come alive in in front of an audience. Yeah. Brilliant, yeah. <laughs> and it,
0: and when did you start using it as an art form?
1: Yeah, I say m- much much later because through my teens, I was basically my life was the youth theater, and then um, I went to when I was eighteen to a experimental arts college. Dartington oh. College of Arts okay. down in Devon. Um, you know, for the university, I went there because my my teacher at college had sort of said, "Oh, I think this place might suit you." What was it called? It's called Dartington College of Arts.
0: You're the third person we've had on who went to Dartington, <laughs> and it's everyone has said it's just such a small place, but everyone wanted to go there.
1: Yes, everyone wanted to go, and I think you know, the, the, there's like the lineage that and the history of the artists that came through there in the 70s when you look now and I still meet people the, you know around in the art scene you know, oh you went to you know when did you go I oh, was there 1979 I was there 1980 I was there 2000 you know it's just Brilliant. you meet all these people it's fantastic
0: well Pauline Amos was one of them do you know Pauline Amos I he- I've heard the name yeah she's never she's that, worth huh? a look she's sort of yeah. she's a painter but yeah with a with a bit of performance and the yep. other one didn't quite go there well not officially but he used to go there anyway because he lived in the area and he was arty and that was jimmy courtney from klf oh, wow. yeah,
1: yeah oh amazing
0: so yeah pauline amos is, is worth that's
1: a look. great yeah but, yeah sorry to butt in so yeah that i mean that was an incredible place and you know i was out the latter stages because of course it's closed down now but i was there uh 2005 to eight. And um, I think it closed down in 2010 or 11, so I was really near the end. Yeah, You know, being there and in that sort of atmosphere and these artists and that, you know, that's when it came out as well. And I think it's the classic story in a way, you go there and it changes everything. Like going to fame. Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, how did you find Martin being the centre of attention at home, but then going to Dartington where everyone's the center of attention.
1: No, that was strange because you go from very easily all eyes on you to all of a sudden, oh, there's all these people coming from different places and they've all got quite, you know, yeah. a lot of shy people there as well, but there are, you know, there are a lot of big personalities there. But I found my own sort of place in it. Yeah. My way. I mean, everyone yeah. finds
0: up finding their little niche, but first yeah. of all, getting there. I mean, I don't know if you know about my background being in prison, but. It's like going into a, a new prison, you know. Yeah. You walk in there and there's all of these there's tough nuts, there's, you know, yes. normal people, nice people even, but you've got to find your niche in this, yes. um, yeah, in this new building full of likewise people.
1: And how did you do that? I'm just a, I was a big
0: aggressive bloke. I just done it, yeah, you know.
1: Did
0: it, yeah. I'm not that anymore. Well,
1: oh, I'm still big, no. but
0: I'm not aggressive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and anyone who says different, I'll give them a right hander. <laughs> No, but I was a different person then, mate.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, you find your your sort of way in it. But you know, something sort of amazing happened then because it was still it was performance. But I suppose you know I was there and I, I wanted to experiment and make sort of experimental performance. I had to come to terms with that before I went to Dartington. But I didn't really know that I was I was going to be doing solo things. I had this image of joining a sort of experimental theatre company I and mean, being in that sort of world yeah, yeah there was a big moment where I was looking through a book called The Artist's Body and um, the book is really interesting because it's a whole series of photographs of different performances and different other kind of visual artworks where the body of the artist is the kind of centre of the work and next to each photograph there's a short description of, of the work so it's, very thick, and it's like a catalogue of yeah, stuff that's yeah. happened. And I just flicked along, and I came across an image which was a male groin. It was like a close up of a male groin, where the um skin of the scrotum was wrapped around the penis and sewn together, so there's wow. no penis, and two nails were like hammered through the edges of it, attaching it to a plank of wood. And I, yeah, yeah that was my reaction. <laughs>
2: you
1: know, yeah. At eighteen I was. <laughs>
2: the hell is
1: this? And I read the description, and it said, artist Bob Flanagan
4: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com.
1: had a full-time BDSM relationship with his partner Sheree Rose and they made this art together that explored love and loss and pain and illness through BDSM and I was just you know my jaw hit the floor because I thought one of the things with cystic fibrosis is I don't know if you know about this that we're people who have the disease we can't be in the same room as each other
0: oh no I didn't
1: yeah I'm like that
0: with my wife
1: yeah! <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Gone <on>, go <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry about it in there. Fucking no, talk about putting a handbrake on a conversation. <laughs>
1: that just got me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we can't be in the same room as each other. Now every time I tell that, I'm just going to think of you and your wife. I'm
0: sorry, go on. <laughs> so you can't be in the same room as each other? We can't
1: be in the same room as each other and if we're outdoors, we've got to be six feet apart, so it's like social, social distancing. And, and
0: what's and the, the reason for that, Martin?
1: So that we, you know, with CF we grow a lot of different um, bugs and bacteria in our lungs and, you know, we could pass it on to each other and it wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't affect you, it doesn't really matter, it's, they're not going to live in your chest because your yeah. the mucus yeah. isn't so thick and stuck in your lungs, but someone else with cystic fibrosis, we're in the room together we're both growing different things in our lungs we will pass it on to each other, so it could wow. be, if they have something really bad, I, I would easily get it and, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. going to be really bad for me, so to try and avoid cross-infection. But that's on the really been discovered over the last 20 or so years, cross-infection things. So when I was a kid, I would hang out with the other CF kids in the hospital. Um, but you know, as I got into my later teens, that's when they started to discover cross-infection, and it split us all up. Yeah, so at that point, so you're, you're like basically stripped of community, uh, there's, there's online things. But at that point, I was not online. I didn't have the internet. So there was no, you know, like I didn't know anybody else with the F basically. Yeah. So you see this this image in the book, read this thing about someone else's fibrosis, and ah, oh, there are other people, and you got making performance and making art around illness, and it's like a light bulb moment. Why never oh, think that art is a place to explore these things? Yeah. So that you know that was a big turning point, and it's, it wow. makes
0: you feel like you're not alone, doesn't it? There is times when you do feel like a fucking island. And yeah. then when you see someone sailing past who's got similar um, footsteps to you.
1: It's beautiful that, yeah, that those moments are so amazing where you sort of interact with that. And of course, since then, I've, I have gone on to meet Cherie, who was Bob's partner, Bob died in the yeah. mid nineties. We've done a lot of performances and collaborations together. The other big moment of sort of launching into the sort of yeah. stuff that I do or figuring out that like this is a sort of art form it was after Dartington. So I'd started making some solo performances, but you know, a little bit, you know, tentatively kind of making things, but I hadn't really figured out what my language was and what everything was really and you know what I should do. But alongside that I got this job in Poland at a theatre company called um Góznice, the Theatre Association of Gojanica. Who we was sort of experimental physical theater company in Poland. And, and it's a little village and the, the, most of the performers sort of live in the village. You spend the whole day's training and the nights rehearsing. Wow. And it's kind of like you're monks, you know? It's, it's a bit like a cult. And, yeah. um, you know, the director is very tyrannical. Um, and he, drive, he works so, so hard. It's so physically demanding. Um, and we used to do these performances in the village and also tour them in different places in Europe. I wasn't living full-time, I would come go yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember one day we we're doing this performance and I was so desperate to cough during the performance, you know, and just holding it. And I thought, if I start coughing, it breaks the course, image. Yeah, I'm just
3: yeah. hold it, hold it, hold it, hold
1: <laughs> you it. Know, and I just, then I get off stage and I just cough yeah. and you know, mucus just pours out of yeah. my mouth. Yeah. I don't have a tissue, I just go on stage, and so I'm catching all I've got all this phlegm in my hands. I remember this moment sort of standing there, looking at the phlegm in my hands, thinking, oh my God, this is what I want to be doing out there, Brilliant. not yeah. backstage. Yeah. There's the politic. Yeah. This has got to be out there being shown. Yeah. And that was the other light bulb moment of, fuck, yeah, I've got to um actually make work that uses these materials of disease that puts that out in front of people. Brilliant. Not the dirty little secret. It's got to be the, yeah. the thing that the work's doing.
0: Yeah. And did you find that through lockdown when people were dealing, well, when COVID was in the news, that your work, um, or people understood your work anymore because of, you know, the, the social distancing, the masks, <laughs> breathing, difficulties.
1: Yeah, there was a whole thing around the sort of online CF things where it's like, yeah, the people are starting to yeah.
0: welcome of, to our world. Yeah, world. welcome <laughs> to our world. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. And um when when it first started happening, my friend Sheree, oh, who's partner, called me near the beginning of the um lockdowns. And she said, Oh Martin, it's like the whole world of caught this fibrosis process. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. And I thought, yeah. In a way, I wrote a little essay about it. I yeah. about you know that that sort of cross infection and CF and COVID and what it means to touch and breathe the air with other people. Yeah, it's interesting because I was supposed to be making a performance um, that was called the Last Breath Society, Coffin, Coffin, like coughing as yeah, in yeah. <laughs> Coffin as it is in the thing that you're buried in. That was to be at the ICA. Um, and it was supposed to happen March time, which was the beginning of the um, lockdown. Yeah. So it was canceled and postponed for a year and a half or whatever it was. Um, When it started to come back, all of a sudden the meaning of it had shifted. Because the idea was the opening image, which was conceived of like a good year before anybody had ever heard of COVID. Yeah was a series of coffins laid out in the space with tape recorders in them and the sounds of coughs coming out of yeah, them. Yeah. That's the opening image of the work. Um, and then, oh my God, all of a sudden, coffins and coughing, just like the cultural meaning shifted. Yeah. So people came to this work. It was the first thing they saw out of COVID because it was right at the beginning of everybody coming out again. Everybody in the audience is masked up still. all coming into this room filled with coffins and coughs everywhere and me packing up phlegm and doing all sorts of stuff with it you know and everybody's going it's like processing what just happened so that was really interesting the the work took on a new meaning and a new significance yeah
0: it's yeah it's it's funny how different perspectives can um adjust a piece of work entirely
1: yeah Totally, um, you know, because it felt like it was just the next stage of my practice to me. Yeah. And but then, you know, I, I understood, oh my God, as I was beginning, uh, it's, this is doing something different yeah. now. This is like doing something. I
0: mean, shifting. all artists are aware that as soon as they put their artwork out on, on public display, your narrative is secondary to, yeah. to the viewer. If it takes on a whole different language... And especially if, if a media gets hold of it and, you know, speaks yeah. that new language, all of a sudden that artwork isn't what you intended it to be. It's now, it is now and forever something completely different.
1: Totally, totally. Yeah. And, you know, as I teach as well. And I say to my students, you know, the audience are, and all the spectators or the viewers of your work are not detectives trying to figure out what you mean. They're going to read it themselves. and the Meaning yeah. happens somewhere like between you and them and you know they figure out what it means for them yeah you can't control you can control what certain things of the work but you can't control what it's going to mean for someone else no and
0: you said that it was when you when you had a handful of phlegm that you had that light bulb moment did that change the way that you was writing your performance
1: yeah that changed everything about the way I sort of conceived what, what my performances were. Brilliant, and what, I loved them moments. But I know it's so good in that, oh, why did it take this to figure it exactly. out? You
0: know? Something so simple, so, so yes. obvious. Yeah, yeah, Something yeah.
1: Something that's
0: yeah. there on a daily basis, more or less. <laughs> exactly, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just takes you to catch up with your subconscious, doesn't it?
1: Totally, totally. And I'm going, oh, yeah. That the. I think before that, I'd started to make these performances that were Sort of used endurance and they were durational things um but I didn't really conceive of like what was specific about my body, yeah, I was just they were, I was just like, okay, well, I'm just a stand for another body, which you know, obviously you can't really be, and um it sort of became like, oh, no, there's a there's something like very specific about my body, which is that it's. It's diseased and it's like you know not living longer than it was expected to, maybe not at that point, but now. And um there's something actually through that experience that I can say that feels important that people might want to hear uh, yeah. around mortality, around death, around our feelings about about life and death and that that weird position that we're all in in different ways.
0: Most members of society are trying not to think about mortality at all, but people who are faced with it, it's a uh, yeah, it's a different kettle of fish altogether, isn't it?
1: Definitely. And then, as I started to get towards thirty, because growing up, I was sure I would die when I was thirty. That was the the thing because that was the average life expectancy of someone with cystic fibrosis. Growing up, that was plastered everywhere and on all the charity appeals. It'll be like a cute it's child. Nice. And, That's
0: lovely to see, isn't it? As you, I know, as you walk I in know. down the street. Oh, cheers,
1: exactly. Man. And there'll be like, like a cute child with big blue eyes going, you know, looking into the camera. <laughs> yeah. And then it says, Sophie might not live until she's 30. I don't know, you know. So was all that kind of thing. And, um, you know, so that you internalize that. And I thought, like, right, 30, all right, about 30 years. What am I going to do with 30 years? And then I started to get to like 28. I thought, no, I'm doing pretty well, I think. That was the point, like twenty-eight. I thought, yeah, a little bit longer than thirty. And um, then I started to sort of think about this idea of zombie, which has become part of my practice. And when I reached thirty, I said, "That's when I declared myself as a zombie." But because I thought, how do you talk about this thing? Like, what's the language to talk about the idea? Of being alive when you're supposed to be dead yeah, or living longer than you expected and having life. Because it really felt like 30, 30, 30, boom. Okay, beyond 30, it's like, all right, it shouldn't be. Yeah, here. Result. Result. Yeah. Amazing. Fuck you, world. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm winning. <laughs> totally. But then also, it was sort of, what is death now? Because before it was 30, it was 30 was death. You know, you're going towards death, but it was death. Yeah. All of a sudden, I don't know what it is. You know, I don't have it anymore. It's like it's behind me. Death is behind me, I've, I've died and I'm still here, alive. All right, I'm a zombie. It's life and death together in, in one body. And also I like, I love zombie films, the camp camp zombie films. Um, So I liked that the zombie is a kind of playful and camp way of thinking about life and death yeah. and uh, the politics of mortality. So it became a really interesting Playful figure, and you know, I say I'm a zombie, but with my, you know, tongue in cheek, of course, and you know, playfully.
0: I, I know a few people who have um, sort of overcome cancer <laughs> and or other life threatening diseases, or even cheated death, car yes. accidents, or whatnot. Um, and you do come away from it with some sort of euphoric, almost like a superpower for at least for a moment that that you're stronger than nature itself you know
1: yes i feel like they're zombies too you know i think like there's you know there's a whole bunch of zombies wandering the world um and leading up to that 30th birthday because i thought what am i gonna do for the you know to mark this thing so i went right i have um a friend who who you know they have those guardian property things where people move into buildings yeah. yeah I knew some people who lived in this one in Ladywell, and it was like an office block of a morgue. But the morgue was there too. Shit. But one day they They after they'd moved in. They walked around the house and they found a basket of keys. And uh, you know they tried all the keys on all the different <laughs> doors, and one of them let them into the morgue. <laughs> and I, you know, so I called them and I said, "Look, you know the story, and I'll be 30 for the 30 hours leading up to it I want to spend it in the morgue Shit. because and they said yeah right let's yeah. do it so I got my friend Sahel Merchant who I've collaborated with a lot he's an amazing filmmaker and a composer mm-hmm. so I got him to come and the two of us spent 30 hours in this morgue together Brilliant. Um, and on the hour every hour I would do uh, a short performance action to camera and he yeah. filmed it so we had these 30 actions filmed but the more was so we you went in. It was like one day, they they put down their tools and just left because, like the slabs were sticky, the, you know it's you know the yeah. stuff was not washed. There's instruments laying around. I was thinking, but it was and it stunk. But it was amazing. So those thirty hours leading up to that, and then I thought, right when it hits at midnight, I would just basically die. But I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant.
4: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com.
1: Yeah, and then we used those. That became a video installation that we did in um, Liverpool at St. George's Hall for art fest which is a disability arts festival and i and I used it for a sort of lecture performance that i did at Tate Britain as well a few years ago
0: i mean to be honest if if you would have killed over at 12 o'clock that would have been so impressive wouldn't it
1: That would, would have been perfect in a way yeah that would have been unbelievable, yeah went, and quite a lot for that moment quite a lot of people you know because it wasn't open to the public wasn't a public performance yeah. but you know friends knew that i was doing it and for that final 15 minutes a lot of my friends arrived and they were all yeah, like sat yeah. there in the room like, all right, it's
0: gonna, a it's gonna of die, it's gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, that may even come into um this question here, which is the piece that you've created that has got the strongest emotional connection.
1: Oh, wow, yeah. That's a so hard times because it, it's like each one seems yeah. to, but that is definitely, that is a big one because of that, you know, that the significance of that time. Yeah. And then I'd say maybe the other one is um, the one I was talking about at the ICA, the Last Breath Society, because that was postponed for a year and a half or two years. And, um, you know, coming out of the lockdown, which is just horrible, you know, the COVID thing and everybody coming to see this performance where they felt like they processed um, COVID. And it was eight days, that performance, four hours a day for eight days. So wow. each day I would go home and come back. is quite unusual for me. Most of my performances, however long they are, 30 hours, 20 hours, 10 hours, whatever, I'm in the space for the whole time. I don't leave the space. And that's the construct of the work. But this is the first, that piece was the first time where I did right, it's four hours go home four hours the next day i go home
0: and was it the I, same performance each day no it was
1: so it was improvised really i had oh, okay. a set of tasks and rules i had these coffins i was basically moving the coffins around stacking them creating different images getting on them in them so i was creating these sort of different uh tableaus and um constructs with the coffins um but it was set It was like kind of, there was a score for the day. Maybe. Each day there was a sort of score, so it followed on from the previous day, but it was also, there was a lot of space for improvisation, which there always is in my performances I depart from the score to, you know, do something that I feel needs to happen in the moment. Um, So no, it just, it stopped and it continued where it left off. So these little cycles. Yeah. Um, each day that built up a, a part of a wider cycle. So that was pretty special thing. And that was very... That was a really emotional performance for me. Actually, do, doing that, fresh out of COVID, you know, and then having everybody there and a lot of people sat just crying in the audience, you could see for the whole time. So there was, yeah. you know, was a big, there was a big sort of that was really charged. Emitting and a lot of power, people.
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, you know, and then the other one because it's so fresh in my mind is the most recent performance that I did at the Whitechapel Gallery, which is you know one of my favorite ones that I've done, which is really. It such a, It was such a big operation, it had a lot of other performers in it um Sheree was over for it, and you know it felt like a huge opera almost like a four hour opera.
0: Well, I've got to say, I was there for the first hour oh were you? Um, yes, right. so I could only I could only make the first hour and while well, I'm doing that with my hands because that's that's where I got up to the bit where you was rocking in the coffin. Yes. That sounds like a name of a, a dodgy rock and roll song. I was rocking in the coffin. But you stood up in a coffin and tilting it left and right until it fell over. Yeah. And I, I left a few moments after that. But yeah. you've you've mentioned Cherie Rose a few times. Yes. And there was yes. a lot to take in as a viewer. Yes. Um, but I have to say, Cherie Rose sitting in that rocking chair, doing absolutely nothing just kept catching my eye. She she looked sort of ghostly. She sometimes looked evil. She sometimes looked beautiful. She sometimes looked like a, a beautiful old great. Oh, oh that sounded a bit patronizing. Like it like it she looked like a grandmother sitting in a rocking chair or a yes. psychopath sitting in a rocking chair, depending yes. at, <laughs> at what moment you looked at. Her. But yeah, it was um it was a powerful thing. And you said about the coffins, the other performances yes. inside the coffins crawling about. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was dark, and I didn't know the story of you. I tried not to know, tried not okay. to read too much about it, so I can try yeah. and make sense of the story when I got
1: there. Sure, and you know, Sheree, I mean, she's incredible. She is a grandma. She's got two grandkids. She's um, eighty two in a few days, and um, she is yeah a legend. But the the story is that her, she had full time BDSM relationship with Bob. She was a mistress. He was a submissive, and um, you know he, he was a masochist. So he you know he really pain was a big big part of his sex and lifestyle yeah. as well that they did. Um, and he died in 1996, but at the time he was 43, and that was um, one of if not the oldest person with cystic fibrosis wow. in the mid 90s. Uh, and he said that it was S that kept him alive as long as it did. Brilliant. So I connected with Cherie. Um, I had a friend who was sort of a mentor to me. It's an artist called Ronnie, I think, um, from LA, but he was living yeah. in London for yeah. a few years. He's gone back to LA now. But he was friends with Cherie from the eighties and nineties. And he said, well, connect with her if you want. And so I said, yeah, i love to. And I connected with her and we started a conversation. And we did, we did, we did one performance together in 2011. And the idea for that was that I, it was my way of honouring that legacy. It was, supposed, yeah. it was just supposed to be a one-off. It was a one-off where it's like, okay, I've got to address this legacy and this ghost of Bob Flanagan um, and make this performance with Cherie. I invited her and she was happy to do it. She'd stopped performing for many years, stopped doing things. Um, So she came over. We We had some funding, so we brought her over to London. And we did this one- very short performance, 15 minutes performance. Uh, and it was a kind of new version of something she'd done with Bob years before. Um, and the original thing that she'd done with Bob was a video uh, called 100 Reasons, which was just a close-up of Bob's ass on the screen. And Cherie spanks his ass a hundred times. So this paddle just comes in. And um, the artist, Mike Kelly, had written a sort of poem that were 100 different names for paddles, so after each spank, he would call yeah, out the name. yeah. yeah. that was the piece, so we, uh, Shereed and I just did a, a live sort of staging of it where I was over her knee and she spanked me 100 times and after each one I would say, thank you, ma'am, please may I have another? That was the performance, it was, you know, it was funny and the audience counted counted as it went and things, but it's supposed to just be this honouring and a, a, a one off, but we just, you know, we just connected like that. And she said, oh, Martin, I don't think, I don't think that we can, I can go back to L.A. and we, can, we can't just, like, stop, something's happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I agree. So she came up with an idea that sort of 30-day kind of performance, but a private performance, where in the morning, because she, she went back to L.A., in the morning, she would send a task for me to do and I had the day to complete it and I would have to document it and send the photos back to her in the evening and so yeah. we did that and that continued our collaboration and meant that we continued talking and you know we developed these different images that came out of it and ideas and some were really funny and silly and you know others were quite beautiful and tender you know so a lot, a lot of things happened through that process and then you know that just set us off then right what's the next Performance. You know, and since then, we've done one almost apart from the Covid years. We've done one every year together, okay. either in London or in LA or somewhere else.
0: Tell us about the performance that at, at the Whitechapel.
1: The idea for that, I had a whole group of other performers, but I've been thinking a lot about ideas of immortality. I mean, there's so much about death and dying and mortality. I started to think about, right, how could I Make a performance that sort of explores the possibility of continuation, and so I turned the space into a kind of, I call it like an ashen land. You know, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. everything was like grays, whites, blacks with this color scheme. Um, everything was sort of pale and a little bit gray, and it was this world where it could have been life, it could have been death, it could have been an afterlife, it could be in anything, and just these strange bodies. Doing these different actions. And the idea was that there was a sort of process that I would be going through during the performance. And Sheree, who was set up on a platform and a rocking chair, as you've already said, at different points would come down and interrupt the process to perform different ritual actions on my body. Um so at one point I was laying on a stack of coffins, it's probably just after yeah. you left. No, actually before. Oh, you saw this. Oh, just before, sorry, yeah, yeah. just before. Um, you know, she came down, and she washed my body as if it was a corpse with a sponge. She put uh, a hot wax on my body. Um, she would have put uh, liquids down my throat to revive me through this yeah. kind of funnel, like a force feed. And so sort of these different actions that would happen later on, I was kind of mummified to one of the pillars and she flogged me with a flogger and uh, bit my body, took photos of the bite marks on this Polaroid camera. These different times she came and sort of interrupted this ongoing process. But it was this process using coffins and using my body and exploring these possibilities of continuation, life, death. And, and the performance ended where with this recording the perverted priest comes in and he's, a, he's a, actually a piercer, so he's not a priest at all. But he put these sort of hooks to, to, to my back in each arm and then i, I was suspended
0: oh tempted. wow
1: yeah and that was the fact that the ending image like you know like christ um sort of crucifixion and then lowered down and sheree sat underneath me and then lowered down into her arms and then the final image is like a pieta uh, oh beautiful from me overheard. So it's still you know quite christian in its imagery right? yeah the, yeah. And so
0: still Wait, that's exactly by what that. I was
1: just looking at. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they it, yeah. But I'm still, you know, not religious by it. I'm still inspired by the, I was brought up Catholic, of the images yeah. of martyrs and of suffering, which is so beautifully depicted in Christian iconography and that those are always of in my mind.
0: The reason that a lot of that is there is to make it easier for us to deal with our own passing and the passing of others, and you know, yes. and meeting these obstacles in life, and they work, don't they? From what, because, whatever book yeah. you depend, you know, decide to read.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then departing from that, though, you think, oh, it's like everything—the rugs pulled away. You yeah. know, when I started figuring, no, uh, I don't believe in it. Around eighteen, nineteen, same time that everything was happening. You know, I sort of that's like, oh my god, that's just death, and then I'm going to walk right in the ground, or. Who knows what you know? Yeah. But it's like, what happens? What happens from being sure of something that's taken away? That story's taken away from Yeah. Me.
0: And how did it feel being suspended?
1: It feels. Um, I've had it um, a couple of times before as well, where I've had a suspension, and it feels it's not it's not painful, but it feels extremely tight in your chest because your yeah. skin pulls really yeah. tight, and it feels the the thing that's the strangest so is is it starts to pull. It starts to pull. It starts to pull. And then, a certain time, you're on your tiptoes, basically, just before you lift off the ground. That is the worst part, maybe, because yeah. it feels like, no, 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 I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't. It feels yeah. so unnatural just to be like leaving the ground.
0: Yeah.
1: And then you lift you off. You know, and then you breathe, and oh, actually, it's not, so bad. it's not so bad. It's okay. And then you start to go up, and and then you just hang, and if you breathe, and you're, it's okay. It's not yeah, painful.
0: It, I should say that I, for, for the listener, I didn't see that happening at the time, but I have seen it before only on telly. Yeah. And it, it does feel like a very violent process at first because it's so surreal. And then yes. that bit, what you're saying, when they do come off the ground, when I first saw it, I was convinced that the skin was just going to be ripped off, but yes, it's. Um, but this, yeah.
1: That's the amazing thing It feel. And and you, you are panicked <laughs> by that idea but skin doesn't snap it stretches yeah so that you know you've got a long time a long long time before it's going to snap so it's going to stretch stretch no yeah. you can see people suspended with like other people <clears throat> suspended off of them and other people suspended off like your skin can take so much stretch and yeah. pull i
0: presume it could be quite a spiritual happening
1: in the performance, I guess it didn't really feel spiritual because I was actually still thinking like performance mode is a weird mode of being like between completely losing yourself in the thing and also conscious of what's, what's the image, next? where yeah. am I looking, yeah. where do I, you know, what does yeah. this look like, or, or, or turn me around a bit or, you know, whatever. So you are mixed. And um, <laughs> at this moment I looked down and my sister was in the audience and I saw her and, and her, she was yeah. like, this. I
0: thought, shit, she's gonna fucking faint. Yeah.
1: She, she, she just look like she's gonna faint. And I go and I, like beckoned to my assistant, go check on my sister, she's gonna faint. <laughs> oh, and, she had a proper go at me after, I wasn't you know, gonna faint. Sister. And you just got everybody looking at me. <laughs> I like a tit. But what did she think of it when
0: she saw what did she say when she saw you leaving the ground?
1: she loved it yeah she loved it she's been to many of my performances she's assisted me in some of them and she's a nurse actually she's a nurse there's
0: some uh, bit of irony there isn't there yeah i know totally
1: yeah brilliant um her story is an amazing story actually because uh she's five years younger than me and she was the first person in the world to be born um using this process to stop her having cystic fibrosis
0: wow great did they take the gene from the sperm
1: yeah so it was a type of test tube baby but um one that had like a kind of gene yeah i can't remember what what i should look what it was called if i knew what i was talking about i would have but a particular process um that was done is a kind of like gene um
0: how bonkers and, just yeah. how bonkers is it that
1: they can do that seriously it's unbelievable, yeah it's unbelievable that,
0: that they can take a gene and i don't know if it is from the sperm or from the egg. But yes. My a couple of years ago, my son got diagnosed with a rare genetic cancer uh-huh. that my wife didn't know that she had. It, it sort of bypassed her. And it's only been at the time that, that this cancer was only 15 years old in medical terms, you know. Wow. Um, in the yeah. last few years, they've been able, they've said to him, they can do that. What happened to your parents to, to him? So that when he wants to have children, they do that same process, they can take extract the gene, breaking the chain. It's fucking amazing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's amazing. So it's probably Chloe would, would be it's probably the same thing. So she was yeah. the first person to have that. Um, and hats off to, well done yeah. to your sister. It was it was Professor Robert Winston. You might remember him, he was always on TV for during no. the 90s, he was on TV about everything. He was the one that did it. Brilliant. Um, so she always says that um was it's a joke that. Uh, Professor Winston, her dad, not, not my <laughs> dad. <laughs> well, you're not my real dad, <laughs> Professor Winston is. <laughs> Brilliant.
0: So the p- performance happened, was it the end of July, start of August?
1: Yeah, end of July, yeah. Yeah, it was um, 22nd of July. So then you got, it's so exhausting after because you do um, that week leading up to it is a chaos where you're working 12, 15 hours each day, getting everything ready and set up, and then you've got to do like the most intense performance, this four-hour, epic, physically, yeah. you know, exhausting performance. So then, after that, boom, you die. You yeah, know, for yeah. a couple of weeks, you die.
0: <laughs> I can't <would laughs>
1: imagine recover and rest, and you can't really do anything but sleep and a lot, trotting around, but slowly. Yeah. And, um,
0: just before I talk about what is coming up for you. There's another question that I ask each guest and that is if there was you and five other artists past and present, what would your ideal group show performance be?
1: Wow. Well, I definitely have to say um, Bob Flanagan and Cherie Rose. (laughs) That's definitely clear. Um, I would say David Wannerovich. David Wannerovich was um, an artist who died of HIV, AIDS related complications and he was like very an artist for the like very political AIDS-based work in the nineties, and he worked through writing and um, collage and video and um a whole range of different kind of media, but like very political, um, really? and a lot of activist stuff. So he was involved in ACT UP as well. Yeah.
0: Cheers.
1: Yeah, in New York, he was a New York artist, and the work. I mean, it's utterly. Like, yeah, sort of destroying work, yeah. so beautiful. Um, he's definitely one of the big influences on me for sure. Um, yeah, I'd say Frida Kahlo. Those images, those kind of self-portraits of her in different guises, are just I find so beautiful and moving, and just opening up this kind of conversation around disability and um kind of pain yeah through a single image it's so stunning both the subjects and the
0: visuals they could have been created last week couldn't they yeah right? yeah yeah totally
1: yeah totally. yeah And i would also say then i would bring i'd have to say ron athey who was a big mentor to me yeah amazing um performance artist um and so what's that, Bob Flanagan, Bob and Cherie, Bob and They can be as one, can't they? can be as one. Bob and Cherie, David Wannerowicz, Frida Kahla, Ron Athey, and fifth one, I would say, I would go with, I would say Hannah Wilkie. Okay, oh, I don't know that name either. Yeah, she does, well, she was a, an amazing artist and she um, she did like a lot of work that was really, like she was beautiful a very kind of typical way and like pornographic imagery and it got really um slated by sex negative feminists
0: yeah yeah
1: but interestingly the view on her really changed when she got diagnosed with cancer okay so she was diagnosed with cancer she was dying and she continued making the same images but as her body got frailer Frailer. She continued doing these like very sexualized
0: language. Yeah.
1: Yes, and you know people's attitudes towards the work changed, but she was staging. She said it's the same thing, but there's this other politic in it as well around illness and dying. And
0: done your performance in end of July at the Whitechapel Gallery. Yeah. And you are are you yet? Writer in residence, or you're going to be writer in residence? I am writer
1: in residence, yeah. So it's, it's for this full year, January through to December of this year, I've been it. So it's, and as part of that, I did three performances. The first one was May, that was a smaller one. Then the big main one, that was in July in the gallery. And then December, there's going to be the third one, which will, oh, okay. again will be a, a slightly smaller one. But each one involves the uh, texts across the three of them writing, and they're all, I'm mean, thinking of them as a kind of trilogy. They stand alone, but they do relate to one another yeah. as well. So the images from that second one that you saw kind of came out of the first one and the making and the writing in the first one. Um, and that helped me to develop the sort of visuals for the second one. And again, now that's um, coming through and some of the images that came out of that are starting to take place for this third one as well.
0: And being a writer in residence, yeah. did you write these performances during that year
1: Yes, I did, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I started the first performance was May and I started in January. My process, like part part of it is writing and part of it is other stuff as well. And yeah. you know, like sort of physical construction of imagery. So the first performance was short, it was shorter one. It's like just a one hour performance where everybody sits and watches for an hour. It's not durational. Um, that was just in the cinema space. In Whitechapel, so it's a different kind of space. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for that, we had most of the like physical intense actions had been filmed. We filmed it in a um a crypt in London. Yeah. So that was just a shorter performance, and I've kind of written this story of a man who's obsessed with death, and he makes a pact with the Grim Reaper um, to live forever, and so it sort of follows his life through these different ages and generations um and through these different kinds of worlds and lives um, and times where he should die but doesn't die like he drowns but he never dies he just continues drowning 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 Uh, you know and then he sees the demise of the world until he's the final person becomes this kind of apocalyptic landscape where he's just existing with nothing around him Um, yeah, so sort of charged, char- has that story being, which I read through the performance um, in different segments throughout and then some live actions that I do and the, the video projection of this stuff that was shot in the crypt plays as well throughout these different things that kind of echo the story. They don't tell the story, but the actions that kind of relate to the story and tell, tell elements of the story. Um, So that was the first one. The second one was the piece that you saw that we already talked about. And then the third one, which is coming up, is going to be, um, it's still unclear because I'm like making it right now. I'm just at the start of the process of making it basically.
0: Has you got a title yet?
1: I think the word transmissions is going to be in it uh, because part of the thing of it is that it's a kind of radio show from the afterlife. It's part of the kind of conceit of it. So. I think there's going to be an element where people can listen from home tune in like it's a radio show it's like a hospital radio show yeah, yeah from from the afterlife but there'll be live there will be a live thing in the gallery that people can come and watch as well to watch the kind of recording of, of it but it's not fully just a radio show there is a sort of live performance element going on which you don't get through the radio so these like two different ways of experiencing it and I, I've been obsessed. I love the radio. I've been obsessed with radio for a long time. all day long, I don't have a TV at my house. I just listen to the radio. Brilliant.
0: When is this show in December? Has it got a date yet? Yeah,
1: it's the fourteenth of December. Um, it It hasn't been officially announced yet. Like we don't we don't have all the elements, but I guess it will probably be re- released properly in October or some sometime.
0: Oh, yeah. so you're a writer in residence. Yeah. What happens to your writings at the end of this year? Are they yours or are they the, the galleries?
1: They're mine, but they go onto the um, Whitechapel's website. So that there's like one piece of writing from each um, performance that goes onto the website. So the story from the first one, you can go on now and read if you want on the Whitechapel. And then the texts that I read during the performance you saw, um they're up they're up there now as well and then something from the third one will go up as well
0: and martin where can anyone find what you're doing be it website or social media
1: yes probably the best most up-to-date one is to go is instagram martin o'brien Art. brilliant
0: i think that's all my questions are so martin thank you very much for your time uh, i've absolutely it was a pleasure it
1: was so much fun chatting with you bye. Bye. bye
0: Brilliant. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. It's a podcast that's produced with the help of the listener. And if you like what you've heard, and you think you might be able to give a little support, there's two ways in which you can do it. If you go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile, you'll find a Linktree drop-down box. And in that box, you'll find two links. One is called Buy Us A Coffee, and it's pretty much that. You can make a one-off payment the price of a cup of coffee. Or, if you're able and want to do it more long-term, you can become a Ministry of Arts Patreon, where you can sign up to support us on a monthly basis. And 100% of your support goes back into the podcast. And if you're not able to do that, that's absolutely fine. This content is free for everyone. But we would urge you to follow us on your socials and show us a bit of love that way. Either way, thanks for listening and see you next time. ta out.